I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome. My name is Ashley Smith Thomas, and I am the host of Freedom Talks. The purpose of this show is to educate Americans on key freedom and national security issues that impact our nation. I like to bring on subject matter experts to come onto the program to talk about these key issues and inform us, and more importantly, provide us a call to action so that we can make a difference. I'm sure many of you have been watching in the news recently of Russia and their invasion in Ukraine and the horrific videos and photos that we've been seeing of what has transpired inside Ukraine. But yesterday was also reported that Russia is moving forward onto the east side of Ukraine and has now sent more troops into the country. But also we're seeing reports come out saying that here in America, we have now hit 8.5% inflation rate, which is the highest in over 40 years. So what does this mean for our economy? How does the economy play into our national security? Well, today I have an amazing guest with me who is an expert in this area, and it is a privilege to introduce to you Kevin Freeman. Kevin Freeman is considered one of the world's leading experts on the issues of economic warfare and financial terrorism. He has consulted for and briefed members of both the U.S. House and Senate, present and past CIA, DIA, FBI, SEC, Homeland Security, and the Justice Department, as well as local and state law enforcement. His research has been presented in critical DOD studies on economic warfare, Iran, and weapons of mass destruction presented to the Secretary of Defense and the Undersecretary of Defense and Intelligence. He has traveled extensively with research trips to Russia and China and throughout the world and throughout Europe and the Americas. He is also a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy and a contributing editor to the Counter-Terrorist magazine. His show, Economic War Room with Kevin Freeman, is a digital media and weekly broadcast financial news show that provides new market insights to the challenges America and Wall Street face today, and it airs on The Blaze. Kevin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Ashley. Good to be with you. So I know, and I've followed some of your work on the Economic War Room, your show, and I know that you discuss extensively how the market and national security uh, go hand in hand. Can you explain that for our viewers, how the economy plays into our national security? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, economic warfare has been a part of the national security picture from the Peloponnesian Wars, Athens versus Sparta, you know, centuries ago, uh, until World War II, and then through Korea and Vietnam. And then all of a sudden, when the wall fell in Berlin, 
Uh, President Clinton decided we would separate economics from national security and no longer talk about them together. So it is a very abnormal thing to not connect them. In fact, we had a Bureau of Economic Warfare under FDR in World War II. Uh, entire bureau focused on fighting economic warfare. But <clears throat> when the wall fell in Berlin, President Clinton said, you know what, we're going to get the strongest military, and that will be tanks, planes, missiles, bombs, and so forth, and we're going to have the strongest economy because we will always dominate the, the economy of this planet. And therefore, he just said, businessmen, go make as much money as you can, globalize as much as possible, and we forgot that economics were linked to national security, but the Chinese didn't. The Russians didn't, the North Koreans didn't, the Iranians didn't. They understood they're interconnected, have been, always will be. But in American policy, we, we just forgot that. Well, it's interesting how our enemies recognize that. But here in America, we have forgotten that. So what do you think needs to be done to make sure that we bring the economy back into national security? Do you even see any headway into that right now here in America? Well, the good news is, is in 2008 with the stock market crash, I was called by the Pentagon and I went in and educated them on the issue of economic warfare. I wrote a book, Economic Warfare Risks and Responses, uh, as a consulting effort. And I went to AEI and Heritage and all the think tanks and educated them. The problem is, is that we still have this American arrogance that is so profound that says the American economy dominates the planet, always has, always will, and we never think anything beyond that. And so what they did was they picked up offensive forms of economic warfare, and we're waging that right now in the Ukraine against Russia. We're waging offensive economic warfare, but we forgot that they have economic weapons too, and we created no defensive economic warfare. So what's it going to take? It's just an awareness that America is not a permanent guaranteed thing. If we have bad policies, our economy fails. We can't just assume that you can tax anybody forever, that you can print as much money as you want to, that you can do whatever you want to in the economy and the government says so, therefore the rest of the world will accept it. They will not. They are planning to remove America as the dominant economic power on the planet. They've been plotting it since 2013, and they're underway executing that plot. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've been talking a lot about the CCP and how the CCP has been having this agenda of their global expansionism, how they want to be the leading market by 2049, which commemorates their 100th anniversary of being the Communist Party of, of China. And then you also have where they have a plan that by 2025, which they launched the plan back in 2015, to be the leading uh, provider technologically. So the Made in China initiative. Yes. So do you see, or would you say that China is definitely a part of trying to remove the American economy from being the global leading market? There's no question. China feels that they have a rightful place as the center of the world between heaven and, and earth, the middle kingdom. So you've got heaven, you've got China, the middle kingdom, and the rest of us. Uh, and in fact, in 1999, two senior colonels of the People's Liberation Army wrote a book entitled Unrestricted Warfare. And the purpose of the book was to explain how to displace America as the leading economic power and take that place by China. And any means possible, intellectual property theft, uh, media warfare, rare earth minerals, 
But what's important is they've executed it almost perfectly. Uh, in 1999, the Chinese economy, believe it or not, was smaller than Italy's economy. Wow. They were not a major player. And they got us to sign the Most Favored Nations uh, Agreement with them. They got the Clinton administration. By the way, few people remember, you know, we talk Russia, Russia, Russia with Trump. The Chinese, through a Little Rock restaurateur, funneled millions of dollars into the Clinton re-election campaign in 96, got caught, uh, it, it came out and, and got censured by the Senate, came out in New York Times, Washington Post, everywhere. They were putting millions of dollars to get Clinton re-elected. No question about that and get most favored nation status, which they did get. This, nobody even considers this. They've been manipulating in our elections. I mean, this, this is, did not happen with Trump and Russia. You know, that was a hoax. This was reality, and all Democrats, all Republicans, accept that that took place. Their purpose was to infiltrate the American government and the net result to take control. You look at the laptop that Hunter Biden had that mm -hmm. he turned in, and you see the influence that they've had. Peter Schweitzer wrote a brilliant book explaining how our elites have been corrupted by the Chinese to take our economy down and bring theirs up. But in 1999, when that was written, they were smaller than Italy. That, that is something we cannot overlook. They have sold us out, the political elites in this country, both sides of the aisle, right. have sold us out to the Chinese, and we're now told it's inevitable. The American economy will no longer be the number one in the world. We need to get used to it. The dollar may not be the reserve currency. Well, that's not inevitable if we fight back, and it certainly wasn't inevitable when I started talking about this in 2008. Do you think... Um that this conflict that we're seeing in Ukraine and how Russia invaded back in February and then the U.S. had warned China not to get involved, but behind the scenes, China has been helping and supporting Russia. Do you think that this is a coordinated effort in terms of trying to manipulate and affect the economy and particularly distract us from the real issue at hand? There is no question that it is coordinated. It's coordinated such that our ally, India, refuses to jump in on the American side. Right. Now, I want to be careful because the American side is righteous in some respects, but not in others. Mm -hmm. For example, I, I put out a show called uh, uh, Choose Your Dystopia. So you can either have the dystopia in Ukraine uh, fostered by the Russians, backed by the Chinese, which is we're going to come in big brother, uh, you know, George Orwell, 1984, animal farm and run everything, collectivize everything, control everything, we're in charge and, and we monitor everything you do. That's one form of dystopia and that's their version fighting. Sad to say, but MI6 and President Biden and our State Department says the reason we're fighting in Ukraine is not to protect the Ukrainian people. It is actually to protect the LGBTQ movement in Ukraine. And I know that sounds crazy, but there are repeated interviews, regular, and I put this out in, in the show and put it in our battle plan, saying, no, no, we have to support this kind of Western version of things, which is based on Aldous Huxley and the novel Brave New World, where it's not complete top-down control, it's just you submit to the state because they're giving you all the drugs you want and you sleep with whoever you want to. I mean, it's open sexuality, and we turn the kids into sexual 
uh, beings at the youngest age possible. So they introduce them to sexuality, kind of like what we've seen on this Disney thing. Mm -hmm. and, and that is the Western dystopia that is the George Soros ideal. Right. And that's why you see George Soros and, and clashing with the Chinese. That's why you see arguments over these things. There's two different worldviews. One of them is anti-homosexual but complete control, which is the Chinese-Russian model, and the other is pro-homosexual but, but allowing as much drug use and, and you don't believe in God and you sexualize children at a young age, and that's the Western view. So when I say we're doing the right thing in Ukraine, I mean defending the Ukrainian people is the right thing, right. but we're going about it the wrong way. That is such an interesting point because... You see how everything that is going on inside Ukraine right now, and I haven't seen this level of misinformation and disinformation and that has come out pertaining to this Russia and Ukrainian conflict that it's been hard to really tell, okay, what's really going on? Who do you believe? Who do you trust? And then on top of that, you have a lot of Russian propaganda, how it's like, well, we're here because there's Nazis inside Ukraine. We're here to stop genocide. Um, and then you see tweets by George Soros saying that we got to protect Ukraine, which made me kind of just think tilt because I'm thinking of George yeah. Soros wanting to protect Ukraine. Okay, what is what is that about? You know, so it's interesting because President Biden, the Wall Street Journal had mentioned that last month in March, we hit 8.5% in the inflation rate, which is the highest within 40 years. Right. And he, President Biden had mentioned that the inflation is actually due to Russia because we're seeing the U.S., EU, and NATO, they're continuing to supply funding to Ukraine, whether it's militarily or humanitarian. Do you agree with the president's statement that the inflation is due to this Russia invasion of Ukraine? Absolutely not. And before that, they were blaming the supply chain and on COVID, and, and there's a little bit of truth there. But the reality of it is, uh, when President Biden took office, I did a show titled Things Have Changed. And I said, we have a new administration. They're going to follow these policies, and they have, and they're profligate monetary policies, print money. In fact, with COVID, we spent so much money on non-productive things, just putting it in the hands of people. There is a simple monetary rule. Uh, the cause of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. And we've produced lots and lots of money, and we're not producing very many goods. It is it the inflation. Seventy percent of the inflation that we have now reported now uh, came pre uh, the the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Seventy percent. And what that means then is because inflation's not been addressed or arrested we probably can attribute 95% because inflation feeds on itself because people start to expect I need a higher raise because I have inflation. And inflation expectations feed on themselves and create increased inflation. It's not done and it's not Russia. It is Biden policies. It's restrictions on oil production. It's restrictions on pipelines. It is uh, paying people to not work and stay home. These are bad economic policies. We had them in the 1970s under Jimmy Carter, and there was no Russia invasion of Ukraine then. We're following the same script and playbook today, only it's amped up, and the Russians and Chinese are planning to take advantage of it. Do you agree with congressional leaders when they say that we need to be providing even more funding into this conflict? Because this is not a war. This, this war is not with the U.S., but we're 
trying to help Ukraine, but this war is not ours. We just came out of a 20-year war of Afghanistan, and that was a horrific debacle of a withdrawal. Plus, we gave billions of dollars of weaponry and money and missiles and equipment to our enemy, which is just, you know, atrocious. But at the same time, we now have congressional leaders on Capitol Hill who are saying that we need to provide more funding, more lethal aid, more humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Do you agree with that assessment? And if how would that affect our economy? Well, we, we have mostly been fighting an economic war in Ukraine. So we're, we're not shipping them large amounts of military equipment. We left more in Afghanistan than, than we've given to the Ukrainians. So that's sad. And, and I think that uh, we've got to be very careful and not escalate into a kinetic war. Uh, but we're at war. And we need to recognize that we're at war and we need to plan all of our policies according to that. Ukraine should be about liberty, not about um, and the struggle and fight for liberty and free democratic systems rather than it being a fight for a special interest group like an LGBTQ group. But I have no problem if we were taking the right mindset and starting with the assumption that we're at war here on a global basis and we're going to have to target our funding to, to address that. So I don't mind spending three, five, ten billion dollars in Ukraine, but only if we're targeting it the right way. It was recently reported that, uh, and you had mentioned India a little while ago, that they now have aligned with Russia and Russia now wanted the currency to be in rubles. And so when they had the pipeline with Germany, it was reported that Germany was upset because the currency was in euros, not in rubles. And so what does that mean if Russia is going to be starting to placate and play these games and change the currency? What does that mean then for the global economy? Well, you go back to starting in 2008, Russia wanted to dethrone the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. They created the Brazil, Russia, India, and China, the BRIC nations, and then they later added South Africa with the purpose of creating an alternative currency other than the dollar to operate the global system on. The Chinese have decided they want it to be a digital yuan, and they're claiming to back it by gold. What we're seeing is a, a deterioration of the Bretton Woods concept of the dollar as the primary reserve currency, and we're going to switch to a new system. Under Nixon, uh, Kissinger went to the Saudis and said, hey, let's price all oil in dollars. It's called the petrodollar, and that will assure as people buy oil, the Saudis will get lots of money and they'll put it in, in U.S. reserves. And if you want to buy oil, you have to have U.S. dollar reserves. Well, there's no need to have U.S. dollar reserves anymore if you can buy oil and rubles or, or whatever. And that's the, that's the intended purpose because America has a $30 trillion debt, $30.5 trillion right now. When President Obama took office, it was about $10 trillion. It's gone from $10 trillion to $30.5 trillion in that very short period of time. What will happen from now to the year 2050 to the year 2070, is the dollar cannot sustain on this development. So the Russians are saying that's their weakness. American spending and debt is their weakness, and that's their long war to defeat us. They don't expect to drop atomic bombs to defeat us. They expect to run us out of money. 
kind of like we ran the German tanks out of oil, mm-hmm. out of out of energy uh, in the Battle of the Bulge. They're they're playing a long game. The Chinese are supporting them, and they've built an alternative economic system between Russia, China, India, and other nations to bring in into play when our system fails. And that's why I think in Texas in particular, uh, uh, we've got legislation that we're going to introduce to uh, create a monetary system that will beat the Russians, the Chinese, and so forth, based on the Constitution. That's wonderful. Um, I know that there's a coalition that's being built and has been built between Russia, China, and Iran. Um, And we can start seeing how they've even flipped allied nations against the U.S. because now these nations, particularly those that are more um, economically unstable, then they rely on China for the economy, the development, the technology and opportunities. Um, Do you think in this situation that we're seeing play out right now in Europe and with Ukraine that China is also going to try and disrupt our market? We know that Russia is with the currency, but do you see China playing that game as well? Absolutely. In 2013, Xi Jinping came to power. Uh, Our own senator, Ted Cruz, was doing a budget showdown, and he was reading green eggs and ham from the Senate floor to keep a filibuster alive so so that we wouldn't pass a bad budget. And at that moment, Xi Jinping said, we've got to remove the dollars of reserve currency. And they made it very well known in the Chinese press. And I've got copies of the original articles. Uh, But they have been a part of this from that point till now. The Belt and Road Initiative Mm -hmm. is a debt trap for nations. When you can get India into this coalition, and India is mortal enemies with China. When you can get Saudi Arabia to take uh, different other than U.S. dollars for oil and join this coalition to a certain degree, and Iran is their mortal enemy, Right. they are being very, very, very successful at a long-term play. And if you go back, I've, I've written on this in globaleconomicwarfare.com, my blog. You can go back 10, 15 years, and you can read me warning, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. The tea leaves were all there for anybody who would look, and we're seeing it play out, but it is not too late we still have the strongest economy in the world with the mass mandates coming off on airplanes, with people getting back to work, with our liberty-minded system, with people waking up to the fact that Biden, you know, I saw one-third of Democrats and like 65% of Americans believe he's been corrupted by the Chinese. When we see people standing up politically, when we see people wanting to get back to work, we have the best system on earth. Our system will win if we apply it and go back to the Constitution and build uh, sound, stable policies like the digital Texan, which mm-hmm. is our Texas-based alternative to the digital yuan, backed by gold, issued by a state, non-taxable way to own gold and silver, and under Article One, Section 10 of the Constitution. So it's constitutional money. If we do these kind of things, we will win in a big way. That's amazing. And, you know, it's interesting is how we're starting to see a lot of these tables turn and how, like you said, people going back to work, these mask mandates now being lifted, which is great for these airlines, you know, and and people being able to actually start moving forward again. Um, One of the things that I wanted to ask you in particular is during the Obama administration, he had us enter into the JCPOA, which is the Iran deal. And when you actually read it, it does nothing to better America. It does nothing for us rather than we're basically giving money to the enemy. 
So under the Biden administration, President Biden is wanting to enter back into the Iran deal. But it's now been reported that it's Russia and China who are now negotiating the Iran deal. So our enemies are basically creating a plan with our enemy, but then yet the U.S. wants to come into that agreement. It makes no sense at all. Um, but if that happens and this should move forward, what are your concerns about us potentially entering into that agreement? Well, last time I was concerned, they showed up with pallets of cash mm-hmm. and they pre- pre- presented Iran a way out. Uh, the Iranians are, have been developing uh, nuclear weapons. We know that, and that is a great fear for the world and a great fear for the Saudis. And I remember I was in Moscow in 2006. I met with the uh, Russian energy minister. I was at a conference for a securities company. And we said, why are you, getting, why are you letting the Iranians develop a bomb? They said, well, it's good for oil prices. It keeps energy prices higher to have a little bit of instability. Oh, but don't worry. We won't let them blow it up on anybody. Well, I'm concerned that the Iranians uh, and the Iranian people don't want this. The Iranian right. people want liberty. Right. Like every other people across the planet, they want genuine liberty. But I'm concerned that if we re-enter this deal, that we'll wake up and find that that uh, that they've developed a nuclear weapon, and now they're threatening their neighbors, if not blowing, you know, uh, trying to attack Israel. Right. So this is a serious issue. What we ought to be doing is supporting the Iranian people mm-hmm. and helping them find liberty. This is one place where it would make a difference for America to encourage. Speaking of nuclear power and nuclear activity, um, I saw recently that you had Frank Gaffney on your show to talk about uh, what if we went nuclear. Do you think that we're going to see a nuclear fallout with Russia? Do you think that we are headed in that direction? It's possible. I hope not. The Russians certainly have the capabilities. They have more nuclear weapons than we do. The Chinese have more than both of us. The Chinese have them in underground. They have uh, underneath China. They've got this extensive railway system so they can move missiles around. I mean, if we go into nuclear war, we Americans always assume that America is going to be the strongest nation on the planet. Not necessarily true. The strongest economy on the planet. And that we could always punish our enemies if we really wanted to. Well, our nuclear capabilities are antiquated relative to some of these nations. So the, and they have hypersonic missiles. We do not want to go there. So we, we should avoid that. I certainly hope that we won't end up there. And then my last question here is that as Americans um, and those who are watching this situation, what can we expect the market to do if Russia continues their war in Ukraine, because now there's reports talking about how they're looking at potentially seizing Finland, Moldova, and other surrounding nations around Ukraine. Um, how would that affect our economy, and how should Americans prepare for that? The longer this goes on, the greater the threat to the global food supply. A lot of our fertilizer comes from Russia uh, or petroleum products, uh, and there are potentially people starving around the world if we we have only a limited number, like 90 days worth of global food supply. And if you eat into that even a little bit because of a prolonged war in Ukraine and Russia, who are breadbasket countries, I mean, they produce lots of, of the global food, uh, you could have uprisings around the world. We could be in a very tumultuous situation. What would it do to the American economy? Well, number one, the American economy is facing 
a dozen Federal Reserve uh, increases. And the stock market is appears to be relatively overpriced for higher interest rates. And when the, when the interest rate goes up and we have more inflation, it could hammer the markets. Uh, on the other hand, if we were in a hyperinflation environment, which is sadly a, a low risk but a real risk, you go into hyperinflation where the dollar loses its, its value worldwide and at home, and you see price increases not 8.5% in a year, but 8.5% in a week, like a Zimbabwe, like a uh, Argentina, like a Venezuela, like Weimar Germany, that could happen. That has a very unique effect on the stock market in that the stock market is actually a real asset as opposed to just the paper money. So you own a piece of Apple or you own a piece of Tesla or whatever. And even though their earnings will get hit, people will rush to buy stocks because they've got to have something quick and liquid mm -hmm. they can put their money in. And we saw stock market boom, for example, in Zimbabwe. When their currency collapsed, their stock market boom. It didn't offset the currency collapse entirely, but it, it, it's, it offset part of it. And the net result is you actually wanted to be an owner of Zimbabwe stocks for a period there. So it, it could have a perverse effect, but in the long run, it's corrosive to markets. We need stable currency, stable monetary system, a global food supply, so a stable world, and, and people willing to work. And they're willing to work without demanding this increase or that increase. So this unionization, all of this looks like the most likely outcome or return to the 1970s unless we switch policies. That gives us the midterm elections and then the presidential election to reverse course because otherwise we're looking at 1979, 1980, 1981, which were really miserable times for the market and the economy. And as we close here, what is a call to action that you would provide viewers so that way they can take action to make a difference? Well, twofold. One, one is pray because uh, the removal from God from society that this administration has an Easter celebration doesn't mention God. Uh, we need to return to that because we need to take care of our families and our children and everything else. So prayer, prayer is number one. But, but number two, sound economic policies. And we cover these in, in uh, Economic War Room all the time, economicwarroom.com. I would urge all of your listeners and viewers to go watch our program that we did on a cryptocurrency you can trust because there are solid constitutional solutions, things that we can do that will protect our nation, help us retake the leadership economically of the world, and bring liberty not only to our people, but people around the world. And, and that one can start in Texas, a cryptocurrency you can trust, uh, episode 184, I think. But, but it is economicwarroom.com. Go to episodes and you can see it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our program. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you so much for just giving us valuable insight and explaining how this works on the global market and the economy and how that ties into national security. And I look forward to having you back because I'm sure we can have even further, deeper discussions on national security issues. Oh, thank you, Ashley. Appreciate it so much.
Well, as we conclude here again, thank you so much for watching our program. And I hope that this here is educational for you to understand how economy plays a role into national security, just like how freedom plays a role into national security. If we don't have national security, then how can we have freedom? It's about securing our nations, making sure that we are secure and that we have to have our liberties and our freedoms protected. So, I just want to thank you again for tuning in. Uh, I would also like to thank our sponsor who made this episode possible, Vibrant Health MD. Vibrant Health MD is a health and wellness practice that is based in Plano, Texas, and they will help you discover a healthy life so that you can live your best life. That is vibranthealthmd.com for more information. And if you would like to follow what Kevin Freeman is doing, visit economicwarroom.com and we'll have information below here on our program. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you and God bless. 